This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to HITS Radio, the most productive 20 minutes of your training day. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. HITS is brought to you by those of us at HITS Canine Training and Consulting. This year, the HITS Canine Seminar is going to be in Chicago in August. Come to Chicago and you can join over a thousand handlers, visit over a hundred vendors, and meet most of the industry's leading expert trainers all in one place. For more information about HITS, come to our website, hitscanine.net, hitscanine.net. Our HITS uh, training and consulting podcast, HITS Radio. Today, we're going to uh, be doing the second episode with Cameron Ford. We're doing three different episodes uh, with Cameron, basically uh, explaining marker training for detection dogs. The first episode, we went over the beginning stages of it and how to charge the mark. This episode, Cameron's going to go to the next step of what you do for for, uh, converting a dog over or training a new dog under marker training. So, Without uh, further ado, here's Cameron, Cameron Ford, and uh, let's uh, talk a little bit more, Cameron, about uh, what do we do now if we've charged the mark with the detector dog? He's ready to go. He understands either the clicker or the word, uh, like, for instance, you and I use free, and he's ready to go on that. What would be the next step with the dogs? Yes, like you said, when we do the charging the mark game, we're building that focus on source. or giving that dog the understanding of what that behavior is and what we want. So now the mark's been charged, we go into building focus. And I do that through basically these games where, let's say it's the pipe or a box or what have you, I teach the dog what I want to do at that location. So basically they're holding focus, they now have odor in their face, and they're they're understanding that, okay, this is the behavior I do, and there's odor here. This is what happens. At that same time, in a totally separate game, we go in and refine and teach solid hunting behaviors. So that's a matter of games where you're taking the toy. Uh, you're, you, let's say you have target odor out in the area. You take the toy and you place a toy in the area where that odor's at. The dog is you know, sent free to search in that space, and when it searches, it can do self-retrieve games. So... Doing that, you're refining that hunting behavior. You're teaching that dog how to basically be more efficient at hunting. Some dogs are very, very high drive, and they don't know how to hunt proficiently. So by doing these kind of things and setting up these scenarios, you're teaching the dog a successful way to hunt in all the typical environments that you're going to work within. So whether I play these games inside buildings, around cars, um, around suitcases, boxes, what have you, because I just want them to understand that these environments are the environments they hunt within. So, Okay, so just to, just to jump in here. So basically, you've, you've taught the dog, you know, when you say free, that you run back to me and I'm going to give you your toy, your treat, whatever your, your uh, reward's going to be for us. You know, we'll give them a, a Kong or a tennis ball. Once we say free, the dog knows that. So in this stage, what you're describing is then I'd put out some odor somewhere. And when the, the dog maybe put the toy with it at first, just so the dog hunts for it and does a self-retrieve, are we marking that behavior at the same time? 
Yes, absolutely. You can mark that as soon as that dog gets that spot because, of course, you know where it's at. You're going to time your mark, your release mark, when that dog actually makes contact with that toy. So you'd say free, and then he picks it up and you play with him. Could you also just keep the toy in your hand and have the dog, when he when he hits that odor, mark it then? Correct. So, again, sometimes dogs with, let's say, maybe need that proficiency in the hunt drive, need that extra little help there. Um, what I would do for dogs who are actually better at hunting so they don't get, or dogs that are so high drive, I may not obviously want them getting used to grabbing something from source. So that way, so the dog goes to that location where they have the odor, I will mark that. We call that pay on sniff. So when okay. that dog goes to that spot, it's going, it recognizes that odor from the other games we played. As soon as it does, we mark that and then the dog can come back and come play. And I'll just jump in here that when you came and taught this in, in my city, the paint on a the paint on a sniff um, it it, it kind of didn't make sense to me at first because I thought well you know the dogs only sniff the odor he hasn't gotten any kind of response um, but I went with it and understood that there you know there was logic behind it and the more um, I realized how important it was just to pay on the sniff and in fact that's how we train our new dogs is just simply put them into a room where there's odor um, the dog doesn't really know the game at all all he knows is that when he hears the word free, he's going to get paid. And we put him put him in a room where there's not too many options. Once he shows a little bit of interest in that novel odor, then we give him the free. And just that's how we're teaching him to hint, to search. So that uh, paying on the sniff, um, once I understood how important it was, I started, uh, you know, we, we incorporate that in our training on a regular basis now. Yeah, because you want to break things down into small, simple steps. So, Paying on sniff, the dog is understanding that odor means something no matter what the environment is. So when it goes in there versus other methods where you waited for the dog to actually go to a final response, that was problematic because it takes too much time in that sequence. The dog's bound to have a failure and you're trying to deal with that. So that makes that a lot more difficult where if you pay on sniff, you're breaking the behavior down into a smaller step. The dog is understanding, oh, I'm looking for this. As soon as I smell this, I get my release marker. As soon as I hear that, I can go play. And then you build from there. And what I like about that is, it, it, in my my experience from both brand new dogs and experienced dogs, that paying off sniff does nothing but build hunt. I just see that, that more times we pay them as soon as they sniff the, the target odor, that if for some reason we've done that several times and then we don't pay them right away, all that does is make them go straight back to the target odor and start sniffing it harder and harder. Um, even dogs that we haven't taught a uh, final response to yet, they'll just stay with the odor and just be, uh, you know, what, which we all want the dog to be obedient to the odor. Uh, they'll just stay with that odor longer and longer until we pay them. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the big things that helps make that picture very clear to the dog is what we're looking for is this is what you do when you find odor. And this is, and then we build duration once they we've paid on sniff. Well, then that next step is they get to that odor. And I build duration, so they're going to stay there one second, two seconds, and then they'll hear the, the release marker. So, okay, and here's the here's question that comes up that I asked you and then everybody asks us when we teach this class. When you're going to build duration, the dog has been paid on a sniff several times. He walks over, smells the odor, it turns around, comes back to you because he's expecting the word. But now he's left the odor and you haven't said the word or you haven't clicked, then w- what do you do? Correct. The number one answer I get in the absence of you doing something, your dog will do something. So you do nothing. You wait it out. The dog will go back to that target stimulus, that odor. And as soon as it does, then you'll give your release mark. 
Exactly. And that's what, that's when it's actually kind of fun. You start seeing the dog do the math and understand that it's the odor that's causing all of this, not his, not his coming back to you and not even, not the word that's given him the, the toy. It's actually finding that odor. Correct. And that the biggest thing we want to allow the dog is to learn to problem solve. We give them, for lack of a better term, these puzzles to figure out. And by allowing them their different options, the different things they need to try, they will figure out the answer. But the problem is we lack patience. And because we lack patience, we want to jump in and start helping them. And all that does is teach the dog, well, the human will help me out. Or if I'm struggling, I just look at you, the handler, and the handler will do something. And then the answer relies on the handler versus the answers in the environment where target stimulus is at. So we want that dog to go through that problem-solving phase so that way they understand through their own means what the answer is. And the more they do that, the more solid and more reliable the dog will be in their detection skills. Exactly. So, so just to be real clear, um, you know, I, I say I've, I've interested in this. I listened to the first episode. I've got the mark charged. And every time I say free, the dog just about jumps out of his skin, runs back to me. Now it's the first day we're going to train this. So I've gone to an office building. Um, I've put out a target odor that the dog knows. Say we're talking about a dog that's already certified and working the street. So I put out a, a target odor the dog knows. Um, just to make it clear for everybody that's listening, um, we would use a, a office or a small room that doesn't have very many options, maybe a couple drawers and that's it. Uh, let the dog go in there with just his search command. Um, he'll go around when he hits that target odor. We're going to mark it on the sniff and then play with them. Um, that's kind of how you would start too with an experienced dog, isn't it? Yes, you actually just hit the nail on the head. One of the most important things you want to do as you – uh, make changes is still limit the number of variables. So what I mean by that is when, if you're doing, like you said, an office space or a room someplace, there should only be three to four objects in that space. That way the dog can find the correct answer faster. If you go and the first time you introduce, let's say, a building or a warehouse and you have 25 things in there, but only one or two of those things may have odor in there, think about how many ways there is to be wrong versus how many options there is to be right. So as we train in a new area or a new variable, there's only a few options. Those few options, one of those has the successful answer to it. So it allows the dog quicker success and the ability to learn faster. And once you've done that, then you can add slowly more variables. But if you put too many variables up front, you're setting yourself up for the potential of failure or the dog to take longer to actually learn its way through the, the, the curve there. Sure. And that kind of goes, that ties in with, you know, as handlers, a lot of times we suck at having patience. Uh, sometimes the patience isn't just waiting for the dog to go back to the odor. Sometimes the patience is we want to jump too many steps ahead, especially when we have a, a dog that's already working the street and, and doing well. And now we're going to convert him over to this marker. Um, what I've seen is some of the handlers I've trained on this have been a little bit reluctant to go back to very, very basic searches and very, very easy searches because uh, they're they're used to setting up a complicated search for their experienced dog and I'm trying to explain to them no we're we're doing basic steps here to teach the dog you know this new program absolutely and you know you you want things to follow that process so we again like you said we start off with charging the mark and it, then we're also doing some hunting games and then during the hunting games the bleeder from charging the mark helps the hunting games okay well then now 
I want to build duration and I want to expose a dog to new environments. That needs to have its own small level of changes. But you progressively get more and more variables in there, the more proficient the dog gets. At that same time, I'm also presenting the dog what I call controlled negatives, which means there's areas that have nothing in it, just so the dog learns that not every single time I might find something. And, I, sure. and for example, I just did a video yesterday that I had posted on, on uh, my uh, Facebook page where I had my dog, Drew, searching these various little elbow pipes. And he, uh, what I was doing is I was marking him when he would inhale on the target pipe. So he would get there, give a good sniff in, and when he'd do that, I'd mark him. So not only was I marking him for focus, I was marking him for inhaling. So in that cycle, I went from two pipes to six pipes. Well, after three reps of that real quick, I took out the target uh, pipe and put that away and let him search the area and it had nothing in it. And within probably about eight to 10 seconds, you could tell he's pretty bored with the area walking around and going, okay, there's nothing here. He was searching kitchen cabinets and other stuff because you know the pipes meant nothing anymore. Sure. And in those sure. pipes, I also... But there's pieces of Kong, there was rubber gloves, there was uh, one of my dirty socks. You know, I wanted the dog to understand what number one, what target is. And then at the end of the exercise, there's also sometimes nothing there. And, sure. and they can be successful when there is no target stimulus. But the problem is in, you know, training we've always done, we always feel we have to have the need of putting something out. And sure. that never allows the dog to understand there's still an ability to be correct when there's no target present. Sure. And that's one of the things that I like about this system a lot is that, um, you know, especially with, with new dogs, if, uh, last bomb dog I trained, we actually had a, a, a empty, um, office complex that still had, um, some of the office furniture in each small little room. So it had a desk and maybe one file cabinet. And, and we started doing blanks with the, the brand new dogs on the first night. So some nights he'd go in and hit a target odor and he'd be paid on a sniff. And then we go to another room and there was no odor and he just checked the room, checked the room, checked the room. And when he was done with it, we'd take him into a productive room and just teach him kind of a hot and cold right off the bat. It sure, uh, it, it kept that dog from wanting to false indicate on drawers because right off the bat, he realized it's the odor that's going to cause this, not by me going and sitting at a drawer. Absolutely. And, you know, we want the dog, we want to basically validate when the dog knows something, right? So we show that by putting that odor out, the dog knows the odor. But to equally validate that your dog knows something, they also have to show they know the answer when there's nothing there. So exactly. we, we present options of, in this case, in the video I posted, there's just plenty of distractor odors present in the same kind of container that his target odor was present. But when the target odor was no longer present, he couldn't care less about anything. He would check the other pipes, but he understood, okay, what I'm looking for is not here. And reading that body language, you know, he's a seven-month-old dog right now, and I'm already playing these games because when I start his formalized training, he's going to really understand what I'm looking for. But doing this, I can now even see better what his body language is when there's nothing present. And then for him, he's young. He wants to go, okay, there's nothing here. I'm going to go play with this. I'm going to do something else. But I wanted, I wanted him to understand when there's no odor present, you're not wrong. We just will keep searching if we have to. Just keep building that hunt. Absolutely. And I like that because, uh, you know, a lot of times you see, like, as you mentioned earlier, some people are, are in the idea that if my dog doesn't find something to go to final indication, he's going to be frustrated or he's not going to want to do the job anymore. But 
you know, I believe that a dog just likes to hunt and they don't need to find something every 30 seconds or 20 feet or whatever. If, if they're out hunting and they're, they're having good productive areas to hunt, I think, uh, you know, a well-selected, well-trained dog, especially a bomb dog that searched for 45 minutes should not be a problem with that dog without finding anything as long as he's still engaged and still searching well. Correct. I mean, you know my saying, nothing creates hunting better than hunting. So if you are putting training ha- training hides out, excuse me, every, let's say, 10, 20, 30, 40 feet away from each other, that's not hunting. You're creating an expectation in the dog that, hey, what I'm looking for is close by here somewhere, and I'll just stumble across it, or even worse, the handler will lead me to it. So nothing creates hunting but hunting. You don't need to put two or three or four odors in the same general area. You know, we don't want to train for a checklist. We don't want to go, oh, I need to hit, you know, cocaine, heroin, meth, or in the bomb world, TNT, sure. C4, and so forth. We want to have produ- productive, good, actual training where the dog is hunting the environment and makes the find, and then you can end it right there because that's going to mimic real world to a certain level. I'm at least going to identify that spot that dog alerted to and investigate it further. And if I need to carry on a search, then I can carry on a search at a, a different specific time after that. But I want the dog to understand hunting. And we need to hunt a exactly. significant amount of space in order to locate that target odor. And that's one of the things I really like about this whole uh, marker program is um, what I've seen is it takes either a new dog and teaches them how to hunt at the very beginning very, very well, or it takes an experienced dog and it, I've seen it uh, build their hunt quite a bit because, you know, by paying on the sniff, the dog's not focused on the handler. They don't have time. I mean, as soon as they hit that odor, they sniff it, then they'll hear the word free or they'll get the click or whatever it's going to be. So what I see is that the dog is more concentrated on just hunting. They're not checking something, looking at the handler. Are you are you reaching for a ball? Are you grabbing the the toy that uh, is hidden in the, the back of your, your shirt yep. that we all know is there? So it just seems like the dogs get very, very focused on the hunt and uh, – then the, when we do go to a final response, which we're going to explain in, in the next uh, episode, what we do with that, but at least uh, for switching them over. And then same with uh, for the dogs, once they're up and running, I'll pay on the sniff more than half the time because I can always get them back to their final response and they'll wait it out and go to a final response. But the the pain on the sniff and, and these hunting games seems like it just kind of kicks their brain into uh, understanding The odor means something and searching harder is going to be how I'm going to be successful. Correct. And and what we're doing is by talking about these steps that we're going over, if something comes up, you have a very clear step where to go back to and a very good solid foundation to work from to kind of unscrew yourself if you screwed up or if you've put yourself into the situation too far you can then go back a step, remove yourself from that equation, allow the dog to problem solve because, of course, like you said, they're going to look to you potentially if you've somehow interjected yourself too much and then take yourself out of the equation. It's set up with a few variables. The way to problem the dog can find the answer pretty quickly and as soon as it does, it's marked and rewarded. So, you know, like you said, going into our next steps is, okay, you know, a little teaser for the next episode would be you know, we're going to talk about what the dog does to, in a, as it alerts, but then what we can then do to increase the dog's B 
behavior at source by being distracting ourselves. So that way they really understand we are not in this equation. In fact, most cases don't trust me because I'm the person that knows the information the least. Dog, you know it best. So don't try to trust me when I'm doing something else or maybe even playing with your toy while you're working or dropping your toy or any number of different things that we'll talk about in an upcoming episode. But your main job here and the only way your path to success is searching, finding target odor, responding that target odor, holding that until you actually hear your release marker. Exactly. And that's one of the things that has also been a good thing is I've had a few um, handlers that we've converted over to this and the dogs were um, definitely um, somewhat or very bad about cueing from the handlers. And once we started this program, it takes a handler. They don't need to look at the handler and it takes them out of the equation and all the way to, like you say, almost trying to trick them. So then the cues mean absolutely nothing. And what I like about it is that whether it's a brand new dog or if it's a dog that's been on the street four, five, six years, this process, in my experience, um, it goes pretty fast as far as changing the dog and getting that cognitive behavior uh, part of his brain working. Absolutely. I, I really have fun taking dogs that were trained in another you know method. And they're good detection dogs. They just have some inherent um, connection to the handler looking for information. So teaching the handler how to do the marker training, these dogs pick it up super fast because once we eliminate or take away some of the typical things the handler was doing, the dog's like, oh, this is all I had to do? Okay, well, I was confused because you kept doing this. So I thought I needed to pay attention to you. Well, now that you're not doing that anymore, and all I have to do is work for that marker versus trying to pay attention to where your hand's at, pay attention to where your toy's at, looking at you every 10 or 6 feet or whatever it is to get information from you. Once they have that clear understanding, because, of course, these dogs are already experienced in what they're supposed to do to a certain level, all we've done is clean up the communication aspect of exactly. it. And by doing that, the dog becomes far more proficient, far more reliable. The handlers then get that feeling of, oh, I can finally trust him because I, I was struggling because it seemed like every time I searched a car, like every traffic stop I do, he wants to alert. You know, he knows exactly. it's real versus yeah. in training, yeah. I can put cars out all the time. He doesn't respond. But every traffic stop I do, he's always alerting. Well, why is he alerting? Well, like I said, we go over that a little bit more in the next episode, but the main things is you, we're, we're giving too much information. And then the other part is training versus reality. And there's a significant disconnect that happens between sure. what we do in training and what happens in reality. And that could be, that might be a whole, uh, whole show all in and of its own. Yeah. We might get so, to part three and go, okay, we need to do part, four, do part four with, for, with for, that. Yeah. So just to do, let's do a quick recap. Um, with this stage, what we're at is, is we've charged the mark. The dog understands that free or a click means bingo, I'm going to get whatever reward's going to be, a toy usually, if it's food, it's food. Um, so once they, once they've done that, now we start putting some odor out. The dog's hunting well. When he sniffs the, the odor, just on the sniff, the change of behavior, and is at first, a, maybe a head check if it's a, if it's a novel odor, a new odor, I'm introducing odors. I'll pay him even on just a quick head check at first. Then he's mm -hmm. got to sniff it. But once the dog gives a, the odor a good solid sniff, then we're going to mark that behavior with with the word, the dog gets to play. And, and that's, that would be up to what we've explained so far. Those, those steps. Um, anything else you would add to the, where we're at right now? No, you, you hit it right. Charge to mark, build search. Once you've got search, then it's pay on sniff. 
and then go into duration of natural behavior when the dog gets to odor. Don't necessarily worry about what position the dog is in. And what I mean by that is he sitting is what's going on because handlers, I want you to understand the terminology of focused response to odor is an alert. And we can all articulate that all the time because when a dog, let's say on the street may not get into a sit position or may not be able to sit because of the environment it's in, the handler still reads that alert and knows it. And many of us can seen a dog naturally stare at source. And when I was working with Dr. Brian Hare from Duke University, one of his first questions he said to me when he looked at the, uh, watch us how we trained, why do they have to sit? Why do dogs have to sit? And there is no main reason other than that's just the way we've always done it through training. So his thing is because we're paying on sniff and we're allowing the dog to have that natural behavior at source, the dog can't lie to you. You have no command for freeze, right? You have no command for that focus. The only time that focus happens is when that odor is present. So those steps build us to that point. And then, like you said, in the subsequent episode, we'll go into how to maintain that. Outstanding. Let's uh, talk real quick about what you got going on too. Uh, I know you're, you're starting a, a new company. Let's uh, hear a little bit about yes. that. Or, I guess joining one. And I was just going to say, all of these things we're talking about, I am putting out on all my different social media feeds. So if you search at Cameron Ford Canine doc, or sorry, at Cameron Ford Canine, you'll find my Instagram. Uh, just search me on Facebook. It's Cameron Ford. And where I'm going to, uh, Silver State Canine in Las Vegas, our website will be up at the end of January, or maybe by the time this, this episode launches, it'll already be up. But uh, on SilverStateCanine.com, we'll have all the same videos, these same things. And at Silver State Canine, we will be doing these classes. So whether you're somebody who wants to be a handler in detection work and you haven't done that yet, you can come to one of our schools. If you are already a canine handler, and you want to enhance your skills, we will have seminars. And then those of you that have been handlers for you know, three or four years or your agency needs a trainer, we offer the trainer schools where I go into a lot more in, in detail about this process. So whether it's detection or patrol, we get into science and psychology. So you are a much stronger and better reliable trainer and can kind of meet that scrutiny that you're going to be looked at if you have to go to court or things like that. Sounds outstanding. Plus, uh, if you like this uh, class and this topic, Cameron and I will be teaching this class. It's uh, on the mark. We're going to teach it at the HITS seminar. HITS stands for Handler Instruction Training Seminar, and I think we're the biggest. I know we're the biggest. Uh, We'll be again, uh, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we're going to be in Chicago August 13th through the 16th. If you want to see some of the other classes, we have a lot of detection classes, patrol classes, legal classes, a little everything for all different handlers will be uh, in Chicago this year. Hits K9.net, hits K9.net. And if you want to uh, contact me with any questions about this episode or you have any questions or feedback, Jeff at hits K9.net, Jeff at hits K9.net. And I welcome all your feedback. Uh, if you have other questions you want to do for future shows or uh, uh, ask any questions about this, we can always do follow-ups. Thanks, everybody, and be safe out there. HITS Radio is brought to you by the professionals at HITS Training and Consulting. Don't miss out on the world's largest law enforcement canine training conference coming to the McCormick Center in Chicago, Illinois, this August. HITS has the most diverse class schedule to fit your training needs. And with over 100 vendors, you'll find everything you need to gear up for your next shift. Register today and save at www.hitscanine.net.